Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are Jill's Journals Out Loud. And we're just going to take a deep breath. Uh, I am recording this on Tuesday, March 7th, with the dog precariously perched and ready to pounce because she's bored, even though she's been walked, fed, and watered. Anyway, so bearing that in mind, and 24 hours after uh, I have uploaded a podcast saying that maybe bad things were going to happen yesterday, and it looks like, uh, well, what I heard was no, nothing specifically happened, but there were eight top-level flights into Denver, which for those of you who know that, so who knows? I think this is a critical week. We will see how it unfolds, and the beauty is that it is always flexible and always in motion. So that's kind of a <clears throat> little of a resolution to that. Today, as you saw from the title, uh, I want to talk about this idea of what it means to fight for freedom and having a seat at the big boy's table. And, you know, it's come up now and then. People say, oh, I think that, you know, you should have more subscribers and, you know, you should be, uh, you know, on shows with some of the people that are leaders in this movement, I guess I would say. And, you know, my last response was, you know, the only one that's getting in my way is me. But it's something I've thought quite a bit about. And sadly, I thought about it for like three hours last night. So I am not, I did the whole podcast uh, after I woke up in the middle of the night. So I'm a little groggy this morning. But I wanted to talk about that because I used to feel that same push, like I wanted to be a part of that movement. Uh, I don't feel that anymore, and uh, I want to talk about what that is and maybe what some of the differences are for the masculine-feminine energy in the process of all of this, but uh, I toss it back to you because I'm, you know, like you, I'm on the outside observing, but I wanted to give you what I observe and why it would never work uh, in my particular case. So, but before we do that, I just want to do a couple housekeeping things. One is, uh, you know, I've had several people contact me about ways to uh, mail me uh, information, and I do not have a P.O. box yet. I still haven't completely decided, or actually that's not true, I haven't found a place to move to yet, and so I have no way to get things mailed to me. My PayPal was canceled, thank you, for whatever reasons, and of course you can't ever talk to someone to get that reinstated. And so uh, I don't have anything but my online formats at this time, but it's something that uh, I am wanting to do even in the short term as with a mailing address if I need to. So uh, I will be letting you know about that as soon as I can get something set up. It's very difficult in today's world uh, with the Patriot, Patriot Act and things like that, unless you live in a big city and can get a private mailbox. So that is in the works and on hold, but I appreciate those of you who want to be supportive of this process. Uh, the second thing is, is I'm getting ready to finish up what I'm calling my Start Here page, and so uh, I didn't find it to read it to you, but I have a 60-second intro that I want to start doing. Uh, and so when I get that, I'm going to ask for your feedback on that, uh, that I want to give a special message out to anybody who's kind of on the edge in any way. And then 
will launch into the regular podcast from there. Uh, and three, I forgot to do the first podcast of the month, is uh, normally I don't like to ask for money or subscribers or, or anything like that very often. Uh, I have committed to at least once a month uh, pitching for support uh, in any way that uh, you would be comfortable with. Uh, as I said right now, I only have online Forms whether you want to do a direct donation through my store, and I'll put that in the notes here, or you want to be part of the monthly subscription process. You can either do it month to month or year to year. Uh, if you do contribute uh, $50 or more privately, I will add you comped a one-year subscription uh, over here on these podcasts. I know some of you don't want to get hooked into this. So, that's the business end. So the second piece I wanted to do is this idea of what it means to fight for freedom. And we have all these people who are very loud and very opinionated uh, who are starting to connect. You're starting to see kind of round tables where there's more than one at the table. And what that actually means and is it useful but the most important piece of that that I really want to focus our attention on is this idea of you know when I'm speaking to being wired for danger being in push mode and you can be super pushy and not be a wired for danger mode. So we need to think of push as that energy. And the reality is, is a lot of the reasons why we don't like the quote-unquote leaders, we don't like the messengers, why we crucify and persecute our messengers is of truth is because they're pushing, they have push energy, even if it's, you know, the one who seems to incite most people is Alex Jones. He's like 24-7 push and it's so grating. It really is offensive and very uh, difficult for a lot of people to process or listen to. To the, I would say, the most subtle pusher of truth would be, you know, having watched uh, The Chosen, you know, the guy who is portraying Jesus, I think is doing a really fabulous job of being very subtle and gentle but firm and strong in his push because he's asking them to believe and consider something that they considered uh, unconsiderable. It's just so out of their, like, you know, I was fascinated, like, you know, the disciple goes out and does a miracle and then he comes back and someone needs a healing and he looks at it and says, I don't know what you're going to do. And I'm thinking, didn't you just go out and perform a healing? (laughs) So uh, we are so uncomfortable with certain ideas and beliefs. We just sort of, dismiss them in this fascinating way, but that isn't what we're going to talk about today. So people who are on the leading edge, whether it's truth, whether it's I want to be famous, whether it's I want to be rich, whether it's I want to be fit, they have a lot of push energy. So much passion, we call passion is push, and oftentimes it's interlaced with such a strong belief that their way is the right way. Their way is the only way. This is how I lost weight. Everybody should do it. Uh, This is how I ran a successful business. Let me sell you my process. Uh, This is what God said to me. You should listen to me because I'm right. So it isn't about the content that I want to discuss. It isn't about the details. It's about this absolute conviction in their own power to push 
forward what they believe is the truth. And, you know, I have been part of that process. I have steamrolled people left and right in the course of my personal life and my career. And as I was sitting here these last few days, kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, uh, what came to me, you know, last night while I was not sleeping was it's really how do we want to move into what's happening around us? Do we want to contract or do we want to expand? And I've been having the conversation in my head because of my experiences this last year. I just wanted to contract. You know, I went down to Yuma. Uh, I lived out of the car because it gave me the perspective that I could just pick up and go. Nobody cared. Nobody knew. Nobody needed to know who I was, what I was doing, where I was going, or why I was going there. There was no connections at all. But even in that process, two, you know, people still wanted to come over and talk. And three, I needed help on occasion. So I needed to be connected to people in some way. And as I've been trying to decide how I wanted to move forward into what is next, did I want to create, do I want to create something that's contraction? And part of me is, hell yeah. But right now, I'm having one of these download processes where all this information is coming at me. But it's about expansion. And so I just wanted to kind of set that stage and that energy just a little bit. Because people who are super push and like... Well, there's two, there's different people, different ways to do it. They like to be right, they need to be right, they want to be right, or they don't care about being right. But all of it is about getting somebody else to agree with them that they are right, right? So when I'm in a religious person, you know, my way of God and truth is the right way because God told me and everybody should agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to kill you, right? My way to grow food is the right way. Everybody who doesn't do it my way needs to get out of the way. So we do this in science. We do it in health. We do oh, we do it in food. Food is like worse than religion. And, you know, we do it in spirituality. We are so convinced that our way is the right way. And the more, I believe, insecure we are about that truth, oftentimes the more we push out into the world to get people to agree with us, to get people to believe us. And the one thing that nobody ever talks about is it doesn't matter which side of a powerful issue you are on, both sides are acting the same way. They are led by the power of their own push, whether it's a push to be evil or it's a push to be good. It doesn't matter. The same, the process is the same. So we're locked up into the ideas and the details and the processes and the outcomes that we believe are right. We call that righteousness. We call that uh, God's will. We call that my will or my ego or whatever you want to do. That's the road to success. It's what's going to work and make everybody happy. For me, it was, you know, what is the truth? I need to end suffering. That was my push. I'm suffering. Suffering sucks. I don't want anybody to suffer, so I'm going to understand what suffering is, and then I'm going to save everybody from from suffering. That was my push. And so eventually, uh, and through a painful, painful, painful process, uh, you know, I've, I've had to give up this idea that, and this is what I would say if I was at the big boy's table, right, 
Who are any of us to decide what is right for anyone? We just don't know. Because what I have witnessed on a personal level with people is when you suffer, that is usually what instigates you to create change. Most of us don't make positive change until the pain becomes unbearable. And then we're willing to do what we need to do. Some of people are super motivated internally and they don't need that negative uh, pressure to create positive change. Most of us need a lot of negative pressure to create positive change for ourselves. And if you are convinced that you are right without stepping back and thinking about things in a bigger way, then you don't understand that because you're just so sure you're right. Okay, so... Then I would think about, well, if I was actually at the big boys table, if I was sitting with the leaders of the truth movement, and this is what was fascinating to me, because uh, I haven't, I've thought about it, but I haven't really thought about it. Because once upon a time, you know, I, I can compete with them, I can keep up with them, and I can actually push past them with, because their sound logic in their mind to me has a lot of holes in it and I only know that because of other conversations I've had with super push people I can usually get to the place where you are uh, there's a crack in the thinking process but also you know people get mad and storm off or shut down or leave so uh, it's a it's something that I know that we are all part of because I've had people do the same to me they have pushed into my cracks and pissed me off but when I can step back and think about it I can see what they were really trying to show me about myself here's a limitation in your thinking Uh, are you willing to look at it not is it right or wrong are you just willing to question are you willing to be open are you willing to consider and super push people don't do that very well okay Uh, and again I understand the push person the most, so I can't really speak to everybody else, but I can tell you that you can be at the big boy's table and not be a wired for danger person. You can have a primary danger default as freeze or flight, but you can be a push person because you haven't been slammed down and that and oftentimes that's what happens there's there's no accountability there's no reality check it's like a little kid right if you never give the child consequences they keep pushing 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 sometimes because they are a wire for danger kid and they need to understand what consequences and boundaries are and sometimes they're not and that is even more cruel to that child because society and culture is going to teach them what that boundary is and what that limitation is and it's going to be ugly and harsh or they're going to get into the financial system they're going to get into the scientific system where they're going to be rewarded for their push even though it's not from a place of love it's their way of understanding strength when their biggest fear is their weakness and then you get into the psychopathy which is a very subtle push because they're never shut down. They push so subtly and they maneuver and weave without this overwhelming force of energy that they are often left 
untouched until the crisis becomes so big. And some people set themselves up to be caught. You know, we see that with certain people who kill and things where they are trying to get someone to stop them because they can't stop themselves. But we're not talking about that today. So, you know, let's just imagine you had a seat at the big boys table. Uh, I was in a radio station once in um, Lubbock, Texas, and I had gone in. It was it was the tiniest radio station ever he was just one guy and he bought it and he was trying to you know make it work and I had gone in because I was back in one of those periods right where I wanted to help the stop soldier suicide you you hear me move in and out of that as an effort um but I always give up because it just you know it's not my I don't look right I don't have any respect in that world but we're thinking about that. So anyways, he he let me go on air. He let me do my stuff. And uh, one time we were sitting around, there was three or four of us, and they were talking about, you know, the they ran the Alex Jones show. Uh, and they were telling me what all the things that Alex Jones should go do, right? Because that's what we do. We pontificate, and then we think the guy who's leading, the guy in charge, should go do the work. And I looked at them, and I said... How on earth would he have any more time and energy to do something else? You're the one that's supposed to do that. And then they kind of went, oh, and then they shut up. Because it's really easy to be an observer of the big boy table, but it's also pretty easy to be at the big boy table. And it may not be easy in terms of what fame is a part of, but it's very easy to talk about what you believe and talk about what you think is true and tell other people what you think and pontificate about how horrible and pass judgment and be righteous and condemn and humiliate. It's very easy, especially in today's world, because you do not have to do it face-to-face and you can reach everybody around the globe instantly just think about the power of that right it used to be just whoever would walk up and listen now you can freely distribute your thoughts beliefs systems ideas whatever across the globe without consequence without limitation and it's very easy to sit around and have that conversation you know what's hard getting up every day and doing the work right is to be a frontline leader that walks their talk. And there are people starting to emerge. You know, there's whistleblowers, there's lawyers, there's doctors. So I'm not saying nobody's doing that. But what I'm saying is the big boys table is not necessarily the best place to be because it's still just talking about the issue. And, you know, the hope is that you're inspiring people, you're encouraging people. But the main message from the big boys table is to just go talk about it some more. Well, You know, you've heard me say this before. If you have an addict or an alcoholic in the family, all the focus is on the problems are caused by the addict, right, or the alcoholic. If they would get clean or they would leave, then everything would magically be okay. But the truth is, is when the addict or the alcoholic dies, leaves, or gets better, then the light turns around on all the systemic problems within that family system. And it usually falls apart. It's extremely difficult to recover as a family from one person who is the addict because all the energy was pointed at the addict. And yeah, they need to clean up, but it's usually much more complex than that. 
Uh, and that gets back into doing the work, walking the talk, not just pointing fingers and pontificating and talking about the problem. And as a culture and as a society, as a global world, we are systemically, our systems are overwhelmed and broken. And so even if every evil person in the entire world or entity or whatever, and the war stopped and everything just evaporated, we're still left with the reality and the truth of who we are. And we've allowed ourselves to be carried forward with this illusion and delusion that talking is enough for a very, very, or not paying attention is enough for a very, very long time. Uh, And, you know, so one of the conversations I'm having is about my own personal survival. And I embarked on this survival process because I had that question. What does it mean as a human to survive? Because we don't really have to think about that. You know, we could go to the store, we can turn on the electricity, we've got automatic heat, we have cars, we have gas, we have medical attention. All these things just magically show up or have shown up. Now that those things are starting to fall apart, there's tiny kinks or cracks in the matrix, right, that say, oh, I was in the store yesterday, and there's like huge gaping uh, shelf space, you know, and it's frustrating when I go in for that thing, and it's gone, right, or the prices that they've gone up are so much. And so, you know, when they say, oh, you know, the food's gone up 20%, I'm like, in which universe has it gone up 20%? Because... You know, my measure is the eggs at Walmart, the five cases, the five dozens of eggs. It started off at $7, probably, what was it, two years ago? Now, the last time, I didn't check it this time, but the last time I checked it was $22. That is way more than 20%. So, we are in a moment where the system is falling apart. And we're telling ourselves all we have to do is wake up to the truth of the evil in the system But the reality is, is there's so many systemic problems that we have so much work ahead of us and talking about it isn't going to be helpful. And what I am most afraid of, and I look at that in the comments, is how unable we are to talk to each other about it. And so I bring that up because... I was thinking about in my past, right, how I have been at the table of my job or whatever, or I've been at the table of other people's uh, leadership. And, you know, I I learned the lesson when I was 24, 25, I was working at McDonnell Douglas, which at that time was about uh, the total employee count across all their plants was about 50,000. So it was kind of like its own little tiny city. And I got hired as a Uh, first-line manager in the subdivision of electrical connectors. And so they sent me to electrical school. For that, I'm always grateful. I gave the instructor such a hard time because I couldn't stop laughing about all the terminology. But it allowed me to be pretty good with wiring, you know, splicing, cutting, those kinds of things. So I was always really grateful for that because I didn't know anything about manufacturing, and I don't even know why she hired me because the interview was an interview at the table. So there, and this is where... I just fall apart at group meetings unless I'm leading the group because what happened is it was, I think there was five or six, I think it was all women that were managers in this department. 
Uh, and the lady who ran it was she was tough and she appeared mean and hard and I'd give anything to talk to her now because I was so intimidated by her when at that age uh now I can see you know that she was just keeping her mouth shut she's probably laughing at me because I was so naive but there were five or six of them and they were peppering with me with questions and everything was contradicting and I couldn't look at everybody at one time and you know I I know how to talk to people but I don't know how to talk to groups when everyone's on a different page and I left that interview thinking oh my god that was the worst I've ever done normally I do pretty well in an interview when it's one-on-one and miraculously they hired me but it became very clear that I was very different than the other first line managers and at one point I don't remember what happened but they got some hair up there you know what about my shoes I for the life of me I can't remember what my shoes were you know they they didn't like me because I just did my job and left I didn't play politics I didn't gossip and I didn't hang out when the shift was over I worked the four to midnight shift all I ever wanted to do was go home right and so I'm at the I was at the the line the minute the 12 o'clock bell rang and ran down the stairs with all the employees I didn't sit at my desk and then start my paperwork like so many of them so something happened with my shoes and so I remember getting so mad that they were focused on something as wildly inconsequential as my shoes that I went out and found what was considered appropriate but the ugliest black shoes in I could find and I remember I had to go into a meeting where all the managers were there and I was so humiliating but I was so pissed off and I you know lifted my pants and the the lead lady the mean one she stood up and she looked at my shoes and she goes okay and I knew she must have been laughing inside because I know that she knew that it was retarded and nobody should be caring about this stuff but it was so petty well at some point uh, I got I transferred to the uh, employee communication department and so it was a pretty uh, big move because again it was 50,000 people and I was in charge at that time of uh, what was an online newsletter it was before the internet was a big thing and so Uh, You know, I could write headlines and put out news stories instantaneously. I mean, that was a lot of responsibility. And I shared the office with this guy, and you probably know his brother. Uh, It was uh, Michael Crichton, is the famous author. His brother, Doug, and I shared an office. Now, Doug Crichton is one of the few people that was so smart. His intellect was so high that it, it was intimidating and crushing I mean it was just overwhelming but his job was to sit in on the meeting of the presidents and the vice presidents and then translate what they talked about into the notes and then I would put the notes out you know so that the the uh, whole company could you know transparency right see what was happening so he had all this kind of inside scoop and baseball about what's happening at the higher level now what I had experienced at the lowest level in the same type of format was uh, we did a weekly rate and cost meeting which meant that you came in and you talked about you know how you were doing and what the numbers were and all that kind of stuff well after six months of telling the truth and getting the crap beat out of me chewed up and spit out week after week I finally figured out they don't want the truth they want me to tell them what they want to hear and so I would go in and tell them what they wanted to hear and all the abuse stopped Well, the same thing was happening 
on the front line that was happening at the top of the heap. And this was so eye-opening to me. And that uh, at one point, I know they were still making parts at over $10 million a year. They were losing on parts for a plane that no longer existed. I mean, it was so inefficient and so terrible and so ridiculous. And, and their you know whole concept of change was to rotate the people in their position. So it was so eye-opening to me to see at the higher echelons, the biggest table in the, the community, in the, in the company, was completely dysfunctional. And, you know, my takeaway was that they really had created a culture of mediocrity. Nobody got promoted that wasn't less intelligent than themselves. And over time, that creates a culture that's unsustainable. Well, at the end of my employee communications career, uh, we went through what was called a reduction in force. And because I was young and stupid, I, at some point in this process, walked into the general manager, the top person for my department, that communication. He was a ex-flight commander pilot. So he was probably a wired for danger guy, probably pretty controlling, very authoritarian, very man, right? Very much a man's man. So here's this little girl. That's <laughs> probably 25 at the time. I walked in and I looked at him and I said, we are employee communications. Why aren't we communicating to the employees? Now, he didn't say anything to my face, but when the first list came out about who was being let go guess who was the first person to be let go? Now, in hindsight, that worked out for me because I got two months paid leave. I was on the beach. Everybody else had to work their two months off and knew they were getting laid off and had to work their two months. So, you know, I was pissed off at the time, but at the end of the, the you know story, I came out much further ahead. But here's the most interesting part. And this is, you know, the, the other thing I really took away from all my sitting at the big or being exposed to the big boys table. At some point, he was going off about how aggressive I was to go in and say something like that. There was a guy from England. He was British. He was the uh, vice president of marketing. He said, this is what I was told. He said to this guy, you know, you're calling her aggressive. But had she been a man, you would have called her assertive. And I thought that was so interesting. And... That, to me, was one of my big life lessons about where I stood in the world and how I was and who I was. Uh, and one of the things, I don't know how it is now, but they always told us as women, if you're in a group of men, you need to, you know, you might come to the idea solving the problem in 10 minutes, and you can say it out loud, but the masculine mind is linear. They're not going to get to the solution until they've processed it for like an hour. And so if you want to be heard, you need to write the answer on the blackboard so that people will remember that you already said that. And there's so much truth in that. As men and women, we process information so differently. We come to conclusions in such different ways that I really completely let go of ever wanting to be a part of any kind of uh, large corporation, movement, institution, or anything, because uh, I didn't fit in and I don't play the games well. And so that to me was a very huge component learning curve uh, in my uh, future. And so uh, I've always tried to stay away from that. And so one of the things I can see 
when these groups of people are trying to talk about freedom and how they're fighting for freedom and they all it's like a pissing contest you know everybody's saying what they think here's what I think here's what I think here's what I believe well and now the big thing I've noticed in the last few years is well I don't agree with everything you say but right so we're qualifying why you're wrong and I'm right there's this great uh, scene in Murphy Brown who uh, for those of you when she was a newscaster and the guys were around her were all doing that and she says you know let's just whip out the ruler and get this over with so it isn't a right or wrong issue it's just how we deal with an information issue and I don't have any interest in participating in that because it doesn't accomplish anything it's just sitting around listening to people talk about stuff at this point most of us already know I would have nothing to say at the big boys table but it doesn't change this idea right that we're supposed to fight for freedom so the second piece I wanted to talk about why it's not really about that and why it's so important that we do our own work within ourselves Uh, what happens for me when I watch uh, these people or I'm in these processes because I'm already done right I've already come to the solution and I'm just sitting around bored is I start to do you know what I call reading people's energy and everybody's there for a different reason you know some people are insecure uh, so they're trying to act powerful because they have an insecurity Uh, some people are pushing because they want to be in charge of everything it's important that they be right so You know, one of the reasons I don't like to be in those situations anymore is because I'm not even focused on whatever they think the problem is. I'm fascinated with the motivation about why anybody is there in the first place. And to me, that's where I've really come to this idea about it isn't about how to solve the problem. It isn't about fighting for freedom out there, right? It's not about killing the serial killer in the basement and then all of a sudden the door magically flies open and everything is okay. That isn't it at all because you can take the serial killer out of the basement and you're still, one, you're still locked in the basement. The doors don't magically open. And now you have to, your focus is off trying to avoid the serial killer now you're in the basement with a bunch of people who all have a different agenda who all have a different idea who all have a different plan about what should be next some people want to stay down there because they're comfortable in the basin right Stockholm syndrome Uh, some people need to be in prison because they're too afraid to go out and be in the world it's too much responsibility some people go crazy because the pressure was too much some people uh, you know just shut down and go into a, a numb coma right some people are out there banging on the door trying to break the lock some people are trying to organize and okay how do we get food how do we get water so we all have different responses to all the things that are happening around us and to me this is why I like to talk about this push pull pause process because it's what we're doing with what's going on within us within the systems around us that's become interesting to me and important because the details of what's happening are not the point. It doesn't matter which play and which stage you're on. It's still you and you still have to contend with the other people around you. And that's what makes all of this so freaking hard because it isn't enough to be right. 
It isn't enough to say, I want to quit drinking. It isn't enough to just say, the serial killer is dead. We are still left with ourselves in this fight for what we want, uh, running away from what we don't want, or freezing up because we can't face any of it, right? We're still left with all the same problems, whether they're happening in our family, whether they're happening at a corporation of 50,000 people, uh, whether they're happening in a country of three and a half or 350 million people, or a globe of, I don't know, six to eight billion people. It's all the same stuff. You know, if we were a colony to some alien force, like if they showed up one day and they said, oh, bad news people, you all belong, you are slaves to all of us. If we got rid of them, we still would have all the same problems. We see that in South Africa. That was the second part of the psychopathy, right? You can reverse power. You can take power away from the people who have it, and you can give all the power to the people who don't have it. And things don't magically worse. Uh, You know, one of the things I wanted to bring up was uh, El Salvador. Now, I haven't done a lot of research, so I only kind of know the peripheral knowledge of this is that you know I've said for a long time you you know the answer isn't to just shut the border down and you know let people die on in the desert the the people of the countries that are being brutalized they need to organize they need to get themselves out of the basement you know giving them money doesn't get them out of the basement right what is it that needs to shift within themselves that will get the serial killer out of the basement so they can start putting in systems to return quality of life and they're as a country they're actually doing it so I still want to find out more information but um, I can't remember the name of the guy Bella Bukele it keeps sounding like Kelly it's Bukele I think he's a young guy Uh, he's the one who created Bitcoin uh, as part of their uh, their economy uh, and what he's done, I guess the first two years he didn't have control of their Congress, uh, and now he does. And what they've done in the last year, year is they have reduced the crime rate to 90 to 95%. And they did that because it was such a gang-running-everything culture and the scary gang, you know, the cartel satanic scary gang and you might have seen the pictures in the news where they've rounded everybody up and they've got you know 40,000 plus of these guys in extremely brutal conditions in prison and uh, one of the comments I heard was what they did is they put young family men 30 to 50 year old 35 to 50 year old family men into positions of authority and allowing them to not just talk about the problem but to take responsibility and make changes and within a year they're having sweeping changes of quality of life across the country now is that an answer in the long run I don't know all you're doing when you know you lock up brutal people is you make them more brutal right you do it doesn't make them warm and fuzzy to reduce their quality of life you can't let them just run around as a in mass because they're brutal and so I don't have the answers to any of this but I was you know through the course of all these thoughts and conversations in my head the one thing that I always come back to is what does this mean for the wired for danger person and 
to me, that's the example of walking the talk, not just talking about it. Because what it took for the men of El Salvador to take on these gangs who are so horrific, right? If you just look at them the wrong way, they kill you and your entire family, and they don't do it in a kind and friendly way. What it took for the men and women of that country to take on that cartel uh, it's not over, you know, it will never probably be over, but it's, it's such a tremendous act of courage, uh, but it's what you, what happens is when you don't, when you let it go too long, when you're too busy being afraid of it, which is, fl- is, uh, freeze up in the face of it because you feel powerless, uh, and you're wired for danger, people don't feel connected to each other so they don't know how to rise up because you have to have somebody to lead the charge and you sh- you've noticed you know in all these countries the leaders all get killed the investigative reporters get killed the the police officers get killed the military get killed it's a war it is dangerous and it is not fun and it's easy to talk about the solution it's easy to sit at the table and pontificate about what everybody else should do it's really, really hard to actually do it. And so when I think about that, I think, you know, it doesn't do any good to sit at the big boy's table and talk about it. What matters is what we physically do, what actions we take with these ideas and with these beliefs and with these uh, thoughts and with our imagination. And it doesn't mean we're right, but you know, like I've said before, you know, any kind of idea without an action behind it just doesn't really have very much value. Now, you might inspire somebody else to act on your idea. You know, we've seen that with lots of people. You know, I think, uh, you know, there's difference. You know, there's Gandhi who actually did it. He put himself on the front line. Or there's, uh, you know, Henry David Thoreau who just talked about it. He just wrote about it. Although I did think he he did end up in prison one time because he was talking about free speech. So it's one thing to think about it. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to make stories about it. But the wired for danger person isn't really going to be happy, I don't think, until they're doing something. And so I have been putting a lot of thought into what is the action version of who we are in the world and not the intellectual, opinionated uh opining of of what we think we should be out in the world. Uh, And the thing that I will tell you that I feel at those tables of men, you know, I don't feel it from women because they're just, uh, it's a different story. We'll talk about that some another day. What I feel from these men is the, the ones who are truly the wired for danger guys, the ones who are doing it because they're not trying to be famous. They just desperately want to help what I feel from them is this intense pain because they're feeling their failure. And I totally understand that because that has been my process. Uh, you know, I tried and tried and tried and tried, you know, not in a public, powerful way, but in my way, you know, as a social worker, to do the right thing, to end suffering, to create change. And I never could understand why nobody really wanted to. And I see that in these truly Wired for Danger guys the ones that are at the big boy table and the little ones out and about, there's a deep pain there because they're not seeing the massive changes around them that they believe 
should come because they're being told what the truth is. And the problem with that, and this is the great crisis of, of our process as Wire for Danger people, is that that's not our job. Our job isn't to decide what the truth is for anybody else. It's only about our own. And then how are we going to act in our own life to make that come to fruition? The pain is around trying to get other people to agree with us and do what we think is right. But my question to the big boys table is, what makes you think your version, your truth, and your ideas are better than let's say God's will that are better than what our spirit is divining for us are better than what we don't know about the future that may be more important than any truth we think that we believe we are right about and everybody should agree with and you know you just can't do anything with that right like are we smarter than God do we have the bigger picture no we only are responsible for our way in the world you may be hearing some whining in the background. Haven is ready to go out. So uh, it is it is a really interesting question. It is a very powerful position to be in at the big boy table. And you can create change. But all the majority of the change I see is this idea that talking about it is enough. But what makes my heart sing are the people who are doing the grunt work on the ground. You know, nothing makes me feel, you know, more or believe in humanity more than the people who are doing the hard work that keep us alive. I used to think that, you know, when the power would go out, uh, when I had it. And, you know, I see the guys come out in all kinds of conditions, you know, repairing the, the power lines in the middle of the storms. And, you know, that wasn't fun. That wasn't comfortable. They weren't making hand, money over, you know, hand, money hand over fist, right? But they were, that was what they did. And it was awesome. They weren't talking about somebody should go turn the power back on. They were out in that bad weather hoisting up those poles and reconnecting those wires or putting in fuses or whatever. And that's what makes my heart sing is the people who get up every day and do the real stuff of moving their life, their family life, and our cultural life forward. And that, to me, is getting harder and harder to do, right? We are not being rewarded for hard work. We're not being rewarded for caring about each other. We're not being rewarded for being successful out in the world. We're being crucified and persecuted and condemned. Uh, And so we're in a war. We've got a whole different thing going on right now than we've, our people in this lifetime have faced. And we do need to come together at all of our respective tables and have conversations. But if we don't act, if we don't do the work, if we don't find a way to agree about what needs to be done and then do it, not just uh, you know, do the politically incorrect thing, right? We can't all be chiefs and no Indians, right? I remember one guy, when I was getting rid of my stuff, uh, I donated a bunch of paper and goods and stuff to a nonprofit, and he was rolling his eyes. He said, ugh, you know, I became part of this organization to help, but it's just full of a bunch of people who want to be chiefs. Nobody wants to do the work. Uh, and I think we're sort of culturally, you know, we're we're pushing down on the people who want to show up and we're elevating you know the people who don't want to work and 
we are becoming more and more like the society that Ayn Rand created, uh, you know, in her book, Atlas Shrugged, which I have, uh, I keep starting it. I haven't finished it because I'm like waiting for when the power goes out and I need a long read. But it's so true and we're getting so clown oriented and it's shocking to me. I didn't think we'd ever get there. So, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to the comment, you know, I wish I had more views and subs and things like that viewers but the only one getting in the way is me because I am dealing with my own issues around all this you know I don't want to be famous Uh, I don't have the energy to put into what it means to be famous and successful I certainly don't have the technological setup I can if you see how hard it was for me to get that podcast loaded I couldn't even get a text message out for most of yesterday so you know I'm in a situation where it's so hard for me to get basic things done Uh, I can't do any of the extra stuff that would be the equivalent of what's needed to push forward to create a broader version of success but I also trust in the process I also trust that if it were meant to be it would Uh, if I was meant to have these things right now I would Uh, and that I just need to stay open and stay on track and stay focused and keep doing the best that I can do and Uh, which just takes me to how much I appreciate all of you. I mean, for such a tiny audience, you guys are so supportive in your words, in your, uh, what I like to call investments, in your support. Uh, I am always deeply, deeply, deeply appreciative, even if I'm not very good at saying thank you or showing you I'm thankful. Uh, I used to try to send uh, gifts and cards. I haven't even been able to do that. I'm tired of myself too, if it's any consolation. So, uh, you know, my hope is I can move forward in a way where I can actually function and all my energy doesn't go into just basic survival crap. Uh, I'm tired of it. You know, I'm exhausted with this life that I've created for myself, but... Uh, You know, it's my job to dig myself out and to decide what is next. And so I am trying to do that. I am trying to see a way forward that I can participate in a better way, a stronger way, a more consistent way. Uh, But I never want to be at the big boys table because it's just a waste of time. It doesn't mean anything. And the reality is, is all your energy gets sucked up by everybody else pulling at you because most of us don't most people do not want to be responsible they want someone else to do it for them or they want to talk about it so my hat is off to all of us you me all of us who get up every day do the hard thing even if it doesn't look like it's very much it's everything the fact that we are participating in life itself is everything and I just want to commend you for that no matter who you are But in my heart of hearts, my love is truly for those of us who are wired for danger in the world. And the thing that I've been thinking the most about is who can we be not as violent people and bringers of death? What can we do with this energy? You know, I've been talking a lot about what it means to feel like this at inappropriate times. You know, that hyper-reactivity, you know, with the dog, with the kids, at the job, things like that. There has to be ways to be in this world where it's productive, not counterproductive, but it doesn't include, uh, you know, violence or hurting people or things like that. So I've been thinking a lot about that. I'll talk more about that another day. 
the dog has taken as much as she can of me sitting here. So we're going to take a deep breath. I hope you can take something from this. I appreciate those of you who think that I should be more quote-unquote successful. But uh, again, the only person that's really in the way is me. I just don't have the time or energy right now. So that's something I'm working on. But with that, we're going to take a deep breath, and I will see you next time.